from the center of the universe and the home of your Grey Cup champion, Toronto Argonauts. It's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos postgame reaction podcast brought to you by Something in the Water Brewing. The Argos have something brewing. They won 45-24 over the previously undefeated British Columbia Lions. JB, before we get into this, and there's a lot to break down, I want to talk for a second about something in the water brewing. We are a week away from Longboat being available in cans. They've got so many great beers. And the thing I love about all of something in the water's beer is that everything's got something unique to it. It's not just like, you know, your boring old lager or pale ale or whatever. There's always something that you take a sip and you're like, huh, oh, that's really neat. And, you know, for me, like some of my favorites, uh, I, I like, I think I, I gotta, I gotta say I like Longboat the best because it's, it's the Argos themed beer. Um, but even something like Hazy Maitland, uh, just the, the texture of it, the, uh, the sort of citrusy flavor in it, it's, there's always something to sort of catch you. Uh, and for somebody that enjoys beer like me, like you, JB, uh, yeah, it's it's a brewery that can't be beat. So make sure you check out something in the water in Liberty Village. JB, how does anyone look at this Toronto Argonaut team right now and not say they are clearly the best football team in the CFL? <laughs> yeah, I mean my my instinct is <clears throat> is to is to defer to Winnipeg, but I agree. I think that. Um, this is a very good football team. It's it's very deep. Um, it's well coached, and I think they can play with anybody in the league. I think that's been that's been shown. Because I think BC coming in was sort of the consensus number one. I think people knew that you know BC and Winnipeg, uh, you know, could go back and forth. I expect Winnipeg to beat BC when they play next in BC, and so I think they're sort of comparable teams. But BC just blew out the Blue Bombers last week. And the Argos are certainly a more banged up team than the Lions. The Lions really just missing Lucky Whitehead, which is the difference, but the Argos are down a ton of guys. And so for them to come in there and show up in all three phases, they they scored on specials, they scored on defense, they did a lot of things on defense, and the offense was good. So it was a complete game. You put up 45 points on a team that has a shutout this season, on a team that had hadn't allowed a touchdown in a couple of weeks. Uh, it's it's saying something. I thought the Argos played well. I give a lot of credit to the coaching staff. They fixed things that needed to be fixed. They had their players focused. The Argos obviously took this game very seriously, and it showed in the in the stats. It showed in the in in the game. It showed in the scoring. Yeah, it was a terrific football game, um, and the. Uh... Is is possible that BC's quarterback has turned back into a pumpkin? Yeah, well, Vernon Adams, we knew, and you you talked about this when we did OCDC this past week, that you have to force Vernon Adams to take those shots, not to just be content throwing those short yardage plays. You wanted uh, VA to be thrown downfield because that's when mistakes start to happen. And they got into a situation today, he, he was playing okay to start, and then as soon as Toronto jumped out to a lead and BC was behind, we saw some of the, I don't want to say the old Vernon Adams because there were really good parts to the old Vernon Adams too. But when he is just firing it, it's dangerous for the team he's on. And the Argos took full advantage. Did they have six interceptions at the end of this game? 
That's yeah, that's he, pretty you phenomenal. Know, it, it, it's what he, you know, you used to be able to set your watch by it. You know, just wait long enough, and once he starts taking those deep shots, there's going to be some going to be some balls in play. It's funny you look at his stats. If you just look at the first three columns, it looks like he had a great day. You know, his completion percentage isn't bad. He threw for 388 yards and three touchdowns. But then column number four, six interceptions, yeah. half of which were Robertson Daniel. We'll talk about him as we get going. But let, let's talk about how how the game started out because it was pretty conservative to start. You could tell whether it was from the crowd, whether it was from the sort of air around the stadium. It was just an intensity to it. It felt playoff like which is weird for what was the Argos third game of the regular season but it it felt very real and both teams came out kind of conservatively um it you know punt and punt to start and then BC put a nice drive together aided by a penalty I think it was Sean Oakman who had a a late hit on the quarterback and then Vernon Adams throws a pretty soft call yeah it, it you know seeing the replay it wasn't a great call but it I get it I understand the call and then Adams threw a beautiful, beautiful ball in the corner route to to Rhymes. And Rhymes is a problem, but they just seemed after that touchdown pass, he seemed to have trouble connecting to him. And he seemed to have lost a little bit of the accuracy after that. But that that drive to go up seven nothing, I was concerned at that point for the Argos because you don't want to get behind against a good defense like the BC Lions have. And Instead, the the Argos found a way to respond, but it wasn't the way that you would think. Uh, the traditional way Toronto responds is not on special teams, and here they have a huge uh, touchdown uh, from Javon Leak, who takes a punt ninety one yards uh, for a touchdown. That was such that was such a big moment. I don't know if I was happier for Mickey Donovan, uh, the special teams coordinator, or Javon Leak. They both deserve that one very much. It was great to see. Yeah, we you know we we've been riding them pretty hard about their special team uh, failures or, or weaknesses, but it seemed to be really the only weakness the team had. And tonight they came out and you know basically shut us up. They came out and looked great on specials. You know, coverage coverage was was excellent um, for the most part. Um, punt return wasn't really that that special, but uh, that one touchdown was uh was amazing was a game changer and you know and beautifully blocked like not just like a lucky break it was a beautifully blocked beautifully run uh return for a touchdown if you watch that punt return touchdown you'll see it looks exactly the way you draw up a punch return punt return touchdown punt return play where you've got you've got cross blocks happening and you've got a lane that forms and Leak also has to read that perfectly, and he did. He's, you know, zigging and zagging through that lane that was created for him, and then he made a heck of a move. It was on the punter, but still, we've seen we've seen punters uh, corner people to the sidelines, get them out of bounds, trip them up, whatever it is. Uh, he made a nice, really hard step to the outside, got back inside. And even at that point, I wondered if someone might catch him, but he's just got such... When he gets to his, when he gets to his top gear, he is gone. And no one was even closing distance on him. I think I'm happier for Coach Donovan on that because he must have been, you know, after last week's game, he must have been so stressed about all of his units needing a game like this where they're perfect on field goals. They punted well. 
they I think I think Haggerty had a 59 yard punt into the wind or something ridiculous like that. And then they've got a punt return touchdown. And not just that, the coverage teams were really good. And one of the keys to that was Quantas Stiggers, who we haven't really seen get a lot of special teams time. He wasn't dressed last week, but getting to dress Stiggers and, and Calver, having Brissett out there playing special teams along with Adababoye, I think they may have found that unit. And you're a big fan of like rolling over until you find a solution. Just keep churning the the roster until you find the guys that can do it. This may be the combination that gets it done on the coverage team. Yeah, I mean, Stiggers is clearly a fantastic athlete. And uh, I I think that if, if you can work it out in terms of, you know, whatever the ratios are, but if you can have him on your on your roster as a backup cornerback slash special teams ace, I think that that is maximizing his use to the team rather than uh, sitting him and having him not dressed. I'd, I would much rather sit a defensive lineman who, you know, you know who they are and what they do, but they're not going to be able to provide um, what Stiggers can on uh, on specials. And the Argos did go light on the defensive line. Last week, they dressed nine defensive linemen, only dressing seven tonight so that they could have Quantas Stiggers out there backing up at, he was backing up a corner technically, but I noticed when Robertson Daniel went down to be evaluated for a concussion, Quantas Stiggers was the guy that came in. He came in at halfback and that tells you something right there that they're trusting that halfback spot to a 21 year old rookie. It's it speaks volumes as to how far he's come in his progress because halfback that's not something you typically come in and just pick up right away in the CFL. Americans coming in learn to play corner first, and then when it's going well, then they start to expand your role a little bit. And for him to have picked that up already uh, speaks volumes to his potential and his ceiling. So Argos end up going up a, a touchdown, uh, but we saw some. We saw some uh, problems, potentially, problems we have addressed before. The Argos end up going up on a Cam Dukes quarterback sneak for one yard after a couple attempts and an offside on the BC Lions. And we've talked about this before. I like Cam Dukes. I think he's a good running quarterback. I think he's an exciting quarterback with the ball in his hands. He is not the right guy for quarterback sneaks. You agree with me. Is this this is the second time we've seen him sort of pulled from that role in a game? Is this the last time we see Cameron Dukes as a quarterback sneak guy? Well, I don't. You definitely like him more than I do. Um, you know, no no offense to him or his family or what have you, but I I think that they should go find uh, somebody else for that role. Uh, I I don't I don't know I don't know whether it it seems to be that they're okay with Dukes doing it most of the time unless they really, really need it. <laughs> That's kind of a weird... Um, I mean, they kind of did that with McLeod, right? Where, like, it didn't really work, and, you know, then they would leave McLeod in sometimes, and sometimes they wouldn't. So I, I guess it's okay. It's just... Just Dukes, I don't I don't like the way he runs it at all. I don't I don't like how he... He isn't moving with the line. He isn't using the center as protection. He's kind of jumping over and looking for a gap. He's not that big a guy. Uh, I don't really blame him. It's not, it's not what he's built for. It just seems to be, well, you're the third quarterback. So this is what you should do. And I I just don't think that that's a fair fit for him. So I don't know. I mean, it's the bye week now. 
Would I be shocked if they had a different QB three in? No. It, it. I get what you're saying. Like, and I think if you if you're being forced to dress three quarterbacks, which teams are, then I do believe that your third quarterback should be a guy that, above all else, is a good quarterback sneak quarterback. And it's not always measurable. It's like Chad Kelly on paper shouldn't really be good at quarterback sneaks. It's not like he's it's not like he's overly big or overly powerful or or fast. He's very good at it. I can't I'm I'm sure there are times, but I can't remember Chad Kelly getting stuffed on a quarterback sneak. More often than not, he's getting a yard and a half on those and he did that tonight. After that the issues and it wasn't on that touchdown drive, but that was, you know, they did get stuffed once. And Later in the game, they go for it on third down. We'll talk about that play maybe a little bit later, but that doesn't convert. And from then on, you see Chad Kelly in short yardage. But I I just think you, I think until you have someone, and maybe you don't ever have someone, but you've got to put Chad out there because you talked about when it's really important. A quarterback sneak is always important because it's on, it's on third and one and you're turning the ball over if you don't get it. So for me, if there's no one else that you feel you can go out and get, and then have Dukes and and Scott battle it out for QB2, then I, I think you just got to stick with Chad and he's your short yardage guy. And you just have to deal with the fact that your starting quarterback is going to take some extra hits. It, it's not uncommon to see in professional football, the starting quarterback is also the quarterback sneak guy. It doesn't seem to be a thing in the CFL, but in other football leagues, the, the same guy stays in. So uh, Toronto ends up, they're, they're up 14-7, BC comes back, ties it up. Uh, were were you when it was tied at fourteen? Did you feel like this was a game that was going Toronto's way, or did you feel like they were letting things slip away? Because again, it was just you know a, a weird series of event, a, a long busted play down the sideline. I still don't even know what happened on that play, but BC seemed to get into the end zone very quickly uh, to tie it up at fourteen. Uh, no, I wasn't that worried because I felt like that the, the defense had a very good sense of what they wanted to do. And that was a bust. And then in the end zone, I don't, I don't know. They were playing zone again. I, I'm not a big fan of playing zone in the end zone, as we've talked about. Um, I don't know. I didn't, it didn't, those kind of quick strike things don't really worry me. Because it's, it's they're they're like honestly it's like a special teams touchdown, you know you're like okay you dust yourself off and you get back at it because the majority of the game in terms of the line of scrimmage was being won by Toronto so I felt pretty confident to be honest even at fourteen fourteen I felt like um, Toronto was the better team tonight. I did too. I really wasn't concerned. You know what? The the turning point for me actually came during the week when you and I were at practice. They were uh, practicing indoors. I don't remember the name of the facility up in Woodbridge. And we saw Coach Dinwiddie snap on the defense. They had jumped offside and he just ripped the defense for, for jumping. And you could tell from the intensity in his voice that he understood the magnitude of of the game that they were going into this week against BC. But more telling for me was not Coach Dinwiddie snapping, but that after that and for the rest of practice, all the way through cool down stretches, there wasn't a sound. You could not hear a single person speak because they all recognized 
you know, we, coach is right. Like we, we got to get it together here. And so from that moment on, I was actually quite confident Toronto would win this game. We, we both picked them anyway, but I felt really good after that moment. Yeah, it was impressive. You know, um, he's an offensive coach. It's not easy for offensive coaches to kind of MF uh, the defense. And for the defense to listen to that and to respect that is not an automatic. And you could tell that the team, you know, sees him, the whole team sees him as their coach. Um, yeah, it was it was very heartening to see it. it. It's what a good team does. A good team knows when they're making mistakes and will, you know, kind of act appropriately where a team full of idiots you know, might be quiet for 10 seconds or 30 seconds and then they revert back and, you know, and then you're just constantly yelling at them. So it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was great to see, I think that how the team reacted to, to the intensity of, of coach. Um, So I agree. It definitely was confident, uh, oddly confidence inspiring to see the coach uh, kind of take the team apart. Toronto goes up, uh, by a touchdown again uh, to make it a 21-14. This one I want to talk about a little bit because this was a fantastic Chad Kelly moment. Toronto is on the BC 17-yard line. Chad Kelly rolls to his right. Uh, and he's sort of scrambling at this point. He ends up throwing back across his body under the uprights where... Uh, Devaris Daniels is there who jumps up and makes a catch. And the reason I want to highlight this is so often when you see an inexperienced quarterback throw across his body, it's the wrong thing to do. It's something that you, you should not do. You hear that from, from the age of six when you start throwing a football. You know, don't throw back across your body. Don't throw back across the field because bad things always happen. What I like about this play is you could see that Chad knew where he was going from the moment he left the pocket. He knew DeVaris was coming back across and he was just waiting for him to get there and he's keeping his eye on the corner of the end zone to hold defenders. And then as soon as DeVaris cleared traffic, he zipped it in there to him and he's got the speed to make sure that it gets there in a hurry and no one can can intercept it, can get in between it. And it was such a big moment for Devaris too, because he hasn't had a, he hasn't had a big game yet and he should be the guy. He should have been the guy last week with Curly Gittens Jr. out. He should have been the guy in, in the first game, but it was Demonte Coxie he stepped up. It was great to see Devaris step up today. He had a really nice game, had a touchdown, was walking a little gingerly at the end of the game. That makes me nervous. We'll see what happens. At least they're going into the bye. But I just thought that play was a real highlight for me. Yeah, I, I wish, you know, obviously that uh, Tavares was more a part of of the offense, but he is still fantastic red zone. Um, one of the more impressive things I've found about Kelly is that every game he gets better. This game, his uh, completion percentage was way up, which is terrific. He threw a little more on the run, which was great to see. A few more touch passes, not always rocket arm, which was great to see. Um, and that he... Um, doesn't you know like a lot of quarterbacks will lock in on on basically one receiver you know and become kind of a partnership and what's really great to see is he he doesn't seem to have that 
need for like a, a security blanket that he he trusts all those guys. He's really just throwing to the open receiver, uh, which is something you don't get um, a lot of quarterbacks doing. Honestly, you look around the league and the stars tend to get all the targets and all the catches. And he is is really good at, at, at just looking for guys who are open still couple times he throws balls he shouldn't but you know i'm not i'm not gonna get mad at that yeah i I actually and i didn't see much in the way of that today like he he did launch a few downfield but i felt like they were uh close to 50 50 one was a 50 50 ball one was he was kind of throwing the double coverage but there was no chance of it getting picked either so no uh, yeah no that's fair enough and i don't mind those and and i thought you know, speaking of Chad Kelly and, and growth, um, and this was something I asked Coach Dinwiddie about after the game. Uh, Chad took two sacks, both of which I thought were perfectly fine because in both plays he'd rolled out to his right, and the guy he was looking for wasn't there. And instead of trying to force it in or just throw it up and hope, knowing the knowing where they were in the game, he decided the smart thing to do here is to take the sack and. Um, you know, he held into the ball to the last minute. I guess he could have thrown it out of bounds. So that you know, maybe that's better. But to not throw it into trouble, I thought showed that some learning had occurred. So I, I applauded him for for that. And Coach did what he did on one of the. He said one of the two. He agreed, and he wasn't sure about the other one though. But but that's you know that's that's what a coach is going to say too. So that started a run. Toronto went on a twenty-one to three run. I want to talk about a couple of things though as we get out of that second quarter. So Boris Beattie boots the ball a mile, goes into the back of the end zone. BC surrenders the Rouge. Where are you on that for kickoffs? I love the eight-point touchdown. I think if you can do that every single time, I don't care that the ball comes out to the 40. I will take that extra point every single time on a kickoff. Are you uh, of that mind or do you want to float it up? The eight-point touchdown, I think, absolutely. It it changes the game. It, It forces your opponent um to to try and go for two it it changes the math of how they can catch up and suddenly you're 16 points ahead instead of 14 and now it's you know field goals and and touchdowns absolutely i think i think you should try and go for it all the time i agree and it's not the same as punting because with a kickoff your average return is coming out to about the 30 yard line anyway so you're only talking about a difference of 10 yards. It's not the same as like a coffin corner punt that gets down at the five or or goes out of bounds at the five, as opposed to going in the end zone for no, a rouge exactly. coming out to the 40. You're, you're, you're talking about 15 yards. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So so for me, that makes it worth it. I love that Beatty had the wind at his back. He He's not, Boris Beatty, I, I don't know if fans understand what a treasure he is in terms of kickoff. He is not only the all-time CFL leader in kickoff uh, average. He is improving on that this season. This is his best season so far on kickoff average, and he's already the best in CFL history since they started recording that stat. So um, it's, yeah, it's a huge advantage. And with that new rule where you can get a rouge on kickoff, even if it goes out the back of the end zone, you just know there's going to be a really windy game where he's able to do that every single time he kicks off. Let's talk about that Cam Phillips play at the end of the second quarter. Argos are driving. They have an opportunity to not put BC away, but to really separate themselves in terms of the score. It's 25-14 at this stage. They have the ball late at midfield 
Clock is ticking down. If they can kick a field goal there, it's a two-touchdown game going to the half. They complete a pass uh, just over midfield. Uh, there's eight seconds left, but the clock stops as they get reset. And then Chad Kelly throws a quick ball to Cam Phillips, who is, I, I guess, has the ball in his hands with three seconds to go. And the correct move at that stage is to hit the deck. As soon as you catch that ball, you hit the deck. And they've been drilled about this. They know these Canadian rules, especially a guy like Phillips. He's not in his first year in the CFL, but you just got to go to ground there because the clock, it doesn't matter. After that, as long as there's time on the on the clock when you go to ground, it can once you blow it in, it can go to zero. That doesn't matter. You can run out your field goal team. You can kick that field goal. I was worried that that was going to be a huge momentum shift because it felt like everything was going Toronto's way. And then they threw away three points at the end of the half. Yeah, I, 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 I wasn't that worried, but honestly, I didn't. I felt like that was that was fine. And then he he got a bit hurt anyway, so I didn't. I was I was I was fine that it just kind of dissolved. But that made it worse too, because he took a shot that he shouldn't have taken. Just catch the ball, go to ground. But I also feel like that's something that needs to be talked about a little bit in the huddle. However, they were going hurry up, so you didn't have a chance to to yell that to everybody. But everyone on the sideline, as soon as he caught that ball, is yelling, "Go down, go down, go down!" And he just stayed on his feet too long. But you know, it 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 ended up working out. But I do think just little lessons like that. It's good to learn those in a win, and then the next time that comes up. Uh, we don't have a repeat of the same incident. Um, so it, it ends up being 25-14 at halftime. Toronto comes out and immediately gets into trouble. JB, let's talk about the decision to go for it on third and one from the Toronto 39, I think it was, Toronto 40-yard line. Yeah. Uh, your thoughts on that? Well, um, look, in general, I am pro going for it. I, I think, certainly when I coach them, when I watch football to me anything um from the 50 and in is an automatic go i thought in the first half there was a a ball they had on the uh on the bc 45 or 46 where they didn't go for it they end up taking a time violation and then they punt and then you know it would end up being like 18 yards just a waste of time um so i go for it there in the second half I wasn't crazy about that call. I thought that they had a nice lead on BC, leave BC asleep. You know, when your opponent is not doing well, don't interrupt them. Uh, you know, it was a it was a good solid yard. And I was pro punt there. And, you know, let's punt and and let the D do what they do. Um so that's that's where I came down. I that's a punt there for me, not a go. I thought that was I thought it was a risky go for like you look at risk and reward. Is they were all they were gaining was a chance to go two more downs as opposed to potentially giving up incredible field position for BC to score a touchdown. So they escaped the touchdown, but doesn't doesn't mean it's the right decision. And I disagree with you philosophically on that because you say it, you, the, what's to be gained is two more downs. What's to be gained is the potential of a touchdown it's at the very least two more downs but you might score a touchdown on that drive that's uh, that's your goal on every drive yeah and it gives but i mean you you're still you're still that. so far away you're still in the middle of the field you can't i mean you could have a touchdown from anywhere it's not it's not plausible that you have a higher chance at a touchdown you're still you know you're still only 
at uh, you know, you're still only at the 50 yard line. You know, I don't know. I I thought I thought it was I thought it was very uh, I thought it was very risky, especially for a team that's not particularly good at converting short yardage. And that's the issue that I think needs to be resolved. And we talked about that a little bit earlier, but. I agree. I think philosophically, I think any third and one, I don't care where you are in the field on third and one in Canadian football, I think you should go for it. You can be at your own three and I think you should go for it on third and one. Not that that's mathematically possible, but I still think you should go for it no matter where you are. The problem is if you don't think you can get it, then that's where I think you need to change something. So at the professional level, if you can't convert third and one reliably, and it's not, it's never going to be a hundred percent of the time, but if you can't convert at a, at a 90 to 95% rate, then you have to examine the mechanism and, and look at, well, what are the pieces here? Why can't we convert it? We're given a free yard. How can we can't get a yard on this play? And so that's where they do need to look at maybe keeping Chad Kelly in there. Cause I think if Chad Kelly's in, they do convert because he always does. And so I didn't have a problem with the play call. I have a problem with the way it's being executed. And the only other play calls I had issues with there were not going for field goals because there were a couple of times in this game where they elected not to kick what would have been like 53-yard field goals. And yeah, that's a long field goal, but Boris Beattie is on right now. He's started the season on fire. He's got way more range than 53. Pre-game, he was hitting from 65. And so I, I just don't know why you wouldn't attempt a field goal. And in the CFL, I know there's the danger of a return, but a missed field goal most of the time ends up being kind of like a punt anyway. And I know instead of like, you would probably be in favor of at least field goal attempt, if not going for it, instead of punting in those situations where um, you're in the opponent's end. Yeah. Um, it, I, I, I wouldn't have a, I wouldn't have a, a rule. It would depend on, you know, it would depend on what I saw in warm up from the kicker. And I, I, I don't actually hate, um, punting to bury a team. I just wouldn't do it once you get over the 50. I felt so, like, yeah, and this was, these were all like at BC's 46. Yeah. Once you're in your like opponent's that. territory, to me, I agree with you. I think you, you try and, uh, you try and kick a field goal uh, or you, uh, or you go. I would go like more than field goal. I would just go. I think you just, you just go. And if you get stopped, it's it's you know it's really not a terrible place to for to give the ball over because like probably it's going to be where the other team's going to be after one play anyways. So I I would just go more than more than kick a field goal. I think you just you know have a have a nice short yardage play and and convert that thing. The running game got going in the second half, and that was a huge boost for the Argos because they could not run at all in the first half. They had seven yards rushing in the first half. AJ Olette only had three attempts. They just weren't trying to run because BC was stuffing the box. They came in with the same plan they beat Winnipeg with last week where they're going to take away the run, and they did that successfully in the first half. Although I will say I give Coach Demery credit for not trying to run against a, a heavy box like that. In the second half, as guys started getting a little tired on defense, that's when he did go to the run. And so while Olette had three carries in the first half, he had 11 carries in the second half and seven yards rushing total as a team in the first half. They end up with, I believe, over 100 yards. Yes, they had over 100 yards rushing by the end of the game. So that opened up in the second half. But one of the ways in which they did it was being a bit creative with the run game because BC was jamming the middle. They found some cool ways to get outside. 
And how big was that Chad Kelly run too, where they're sitting on AJ Olette, he pulls the ball, nobody goes with Kelly, and he runs for 18 yards, which I, I thought was huge. And you talked about that a few weeks ago, saying that Kelly doesn't necessarily need to be a runner, but you can take advantage of his running ability sometimes. Yeah, and it it opens things up. One, once teams have to respect the keep, uh, you know, you don't have to run the keep that often for it to for it to work. You know, I, I think if if once or twice a game you keep it and go, then that that action just becomes so much more effective, right? Because now now flow is not going to come hundred miles an hour because you have to watch out for you know for the leak out or the reverse. So. Yeah, I I like it. I like I like once or twice a game letting him uh, run. I think the team feeds off it. I think he feeds off it. It is one of those things where like that's the thing he loves to do. You know, every quarterback is kind of different, and for me, it feeds Chad when he gets a run. You can, it 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 feeds the part of him that wants to you know smash his head into the opponent, and uh, that's that's a good thing. I think I think it it gets his heart going so. I'm all for it a couple times, a couple of times a game. And once the Argos got up 35-17, to me it was over. I just didn't see any way that the Lions were going to be able to come back from that. We're now talking, uh, was it a mid to late third quarter at this stage, and the Argos just piled it on. They end up winning by 21 points. Yeah, I mean, the Argos have shown themselves to be highly efficient at... Uh, squeezing all the air out of the ball with their running backs, um, their ball hawking DBs, just hunting teams that are trying to come back from from uh, from deficits. They are. It it is a skill that 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 uh, winning teams have, which is if I get to half and I'm winning, you are dead. And right now, that's where the Argos are at. You you do not want to try and come back uh, against this team. They are too good at blitzing their dbs are 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 looking for interceptions and uh they are just playing smash mouth football um they're they're really good at running the clock in the second half they've they've shown that now a couple of times robertson daniel was so good today oh (laughs) unbelievable i mean you talk about mechie you know getting shout outs i mean that that i said to somebody tonight like that's a season yeah, like you know, a three picks, a tip for a pick, and a pick six. Like guys go a whole season without registering that, and you know, so like, yeah, I mean, that's unbelievable. Yeah, no, he had a heck of a game, and then the one series he came out for because he was being evaluated for a concussion. His replacement, Qantas Stiggers, goes in and he gets a pick in the exact same spot that Robertson Daniel would have been standing in uh, in cover two. So that was it was great for Stiggers, though, too. Like he was we talked about him on special teams, what an addition he is. But yeah, to go back there as a halfback and come up with that pick, hang on to the ball through heavy contact. It shows his ball skill and just his pure athleticism. Yeah, I mean, you know, it it it, it just shows how um well, we thought he was going to be great. I mean, even coach talked at the press conference. He he's had to deal with a lot of injuries, so we we had really high hopes. We both thought that he would be a significant part of the team last year. So it's fantastic to watch. Yeah, Robertson Daniel, 
had Vernon Adams number. I don't know if it was from film study or what, but he was able to track where that ball was going so often because it wasn't just, it wasn't just the, it wasn't just the three interceptions, which is it's a pretty fantastic number. He should really have caught the one that, that Jonathan Jones intercepted yeah. because it hit Robertson Daniel in the hands and then bounced up into Jonathan Jones's hands. So he should really have had four. And then if you run a really stretch it, the one that Quantus Stiggers caught in his position <laughs> could have been five, I guess. But, you know, we're kind of projecting now. But, um, yeah, what a game. He just found a way to he found a way to undercut receivers and just knew where the ball was going before it was thrown. And uh, and Vernon couldn't see him. It, it, it made me sad that the players don't come up for the presser anymore. Yeah, that's, you know, after just to, you know, take you behind the curtain a little bit here after after post game um, or sorry, after the, the game finishes, JB and I go across to the post game press conferences. And uh, during uh, during the pandemic in the last two seasons, what has traditionally happened is they would send out Coach Dinwiddie, followed by the quarterback and then followed by three or four players that the organization felt they wanted to represent them. Usually it was guys that that played a big role in the game. And he definitely would have been a guy that came out. And so instead, instead of it being a presser, uh, it's now uh, a far more informal, uh, you know, locker room scrums and, and things like that. And it's just not the same to be able to have Robertson Daniel just sitting there in front of the cameras and the lights and the mic and to be able to to, to smile and talk about the game that he had, I think is is bigger for him than doing, you know, the same thing in front of, you know, microphones shoved yeah, in your face. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I always thought it was a really nice thing, especially for guys who didn't get to do it all the time. And yeah, it's a shame. And presumably it'll go back to, back to that, like, you know, come playoff time. But I assume it's going to be like this uh, for the remainder of the season. Cause it's, it's, you know, it's what it was before. And so, um, they've reverted back to that, but it is too bad. Cause that, you know, it's, it, I don't know some of those moments. Like I remember Tommy Neald after catching the winning touchdown against BC last year, Tommy Neald who hadn't done anything at that point, catches the game winning play on, on like a 40 yard bomb. And I just remember him sitting in the press conference table, just beaming. And he was so happy to be there and to answer questions. And, uh, you know, that, that moment for guys is so much bigger than when it's done in front of your locker uh let's let's talk about let's talk about the pressure for a second because i know the dbs are going to get a lot of credit for the for the six picks and they should but the pass rush is what set a lot of those picks up because there were times where vernon adams was rushed where he had to step up in the pocket and throw just before being hit and at least two of the interceptions were a direct result of pressure on Vernon Adams. And so while they may not have been the sack exchange today, they still, still as a team, picked up three quarterback sacks. Uh, Costigan, Aramalade, and, and Jones each had a sack. I think you have to give them an assist on at least a couple of those picks. They, the line was awesome today. Yeah, line. Well, we, we talked about before the game that their only hope of winning, or not their only hope, but their best chance of winning was the defensive line having a, having a day um, keeping Adams, you know, moving, guessing, off balance, because that's how when, when we played Montreal, that's when he was at his worst. And the line played fantastic today. They, you know, that they got great pressure with four. Um, him really close to sacking him a bunch of times. Did a good job of not letting him take off either. Um, 
young uh, Tiami Castigan uh, looks amazing. And, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, the line looks great. Yeah, they, they do. They really do. And I love also how aggressive Coach Mays continues to be. It's so exciting. I love aggressive football on offense, on defense. I love putting the opponent on their on their back foot because in situations that typically aren't aggressive defensive situations, Mace will blitz. There was the, that second and 23 where Toronto lines up with a three-man line. And it, I don't think anyone in the entire stadium thought Toronto was going to blitz out of that. They do. They sent two. They sent like a halfback and the sandbacker. Both came flying in at the last second. And it forced Vernon Adams to rush the throw. They had only long routes dialed up for that. Nobody checked into their... Uh, nobody nobody checked into um, a, a different route or, or a hot read or anything like that. And uh, it, it forced the incompletion. So... You know, that kind of aggression I love, even on that second last drive where most teams are going to prevent, instead Toronto's sending six. So I, I love the the pressure. It hasn't really burned them yet. It, it might at some point, but I'm okay with that. Take the chance. I would much rather, much rather die blitzing than you slowly picking apart a prevent defense. So JB, uh, let's get into let's get into our our players of the game and our our play of the game. There, there really is only one way we can go for for player of the game. So I'm going to come up with a backup. I will let you do the honors for the player of the game, but I think it's pretty obvious, probably to all of our listeners. Uh, well, for me, yeah. I, well, actually, I I initially my hipster play of the game. That should be a new category. Um, was uh, a pass knockdown um, that I thought was a real turning point where Adams was getting the ball off really quickly and and uh, the defensive line uh, and CN Power finally were you know got their arms up and and knocked a pass down and that was kind of the the end of the drive. But my actual play of the game is the uh, punt return touchdown. Uh, not only is it something Toronto never does. But it absolutely electrified the crowd. Um, it made the, you know, the Argos were obviously overjoyed to get this free touchdown that they normally never do. Uh, you could just feel an energy um, because, you know, who knows, BC, if you're down one touchdown, if you go down two, it's a very different game. You know, you're going up against BC, they're, they're built to to get up big so it, if if you go down two touchdowns you might not come away with that win so i thought the timing the energy the electricity of it everything was uh, fantastic and for me my my play of the game is going to be the pick six uh just because it was it was so it was so deserved after the season so far that robertson daniel has had uh, you know, he had a spectacular week one was, I believe, as I recall, the highest ranked player on on PFF in week one uh, or in game one. Game two, he ends up with two fumble recoveries. And now in game three, he has three interceptions. And the the previous two, the, the first and second interception, he had nice returns on too. He immediately looked for his blocking instead of just... You see so many DBs, they they pick off the ball and then they just keep, you know, run straight forward because you're not usually getting that far. He picked off the ball and he's looking to see where are my guys, where can I set up? 
and he was able to get great returns out of those. And that last one uh, was the thing of beauty. And, um, you know, took it all the way to the house, which was just a, a great cap on a fantastic night for for Robertson Daniel. And what about player of the game? Is is he your guy, JB? Uh, no. I, I, uh, well, yeah, I mean, Robertson, I thought you were asking about Leak. Um, Robertson Daniel is my player of the game. I, I, I don't have a hipster choice. I think uh, he had a season in a game and uh, you know, he even came out for a concussion and checked and came back in and uh, they had to pick six to top off the night. I think he was, you know, player of the month, never mind player of the game. So, yeah, player of the game for sure for Daniel. And I agree with you, but just to have some variety, I, I'm going to go with Chad Kelly, and here's why. Chad Kelly had a highly efficient game from start to finish. He, in the first two contests, played really well in the first half, wasn't asked to do much in the second half. Here he was asked to go wire to wire, ends up 23 of 29, great completion percentage, 250 yards passing with a touchdown. These are really good numbers. It, he added uh, by contributing in the run and he didn't make mistakes. You look at the other side where Vernon Adams threw six interceptions, Chad Kelly has a clean sheet. That was exactly what you wanted. And the rest of the team was contributing. I thought Chad Kelly looked like a professional out there. The fact that he's he's changing plays in the fourth quarter at the line of scrimmage, he looked like a veteran quarterback. And that was really the only unknown about the Toronto Argonauts this season is what's their quarterback play going to be like. I feel like Chad Kelly has done something better every single game. And this was by far his best full game as a Toronto Argonauts quarterback. So I will give my player of the game nod to Chad Kelly. Uh, injuries. What are you worried about? We're going to the bye week. We've got some things like I, I'm worried about Dylan Giffen. We don't know the extent of his injury. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, what's up with him? I know Robertson Daniel was a little bit banged up at the end of the game. I think he's going to be all right, but you know he didn't look in great shape. Did did anything else catch you from this game where someone went down that I'm that I'm missing? Uh, Giffen. Yeah, the, the Giffen one's the that's the that's the biggest concern because he was playing so well. At least they have a ton of depth on the O line, but we don't know how long we don't know how long. Um, cage is going to be out and that does affect the line but the nice thing about at least if you're losing a guard and if you're not expecting Bladek back yet at least you can move Nicastro over to guard and uh, have Sirocco play center I was almost surprised they didn't do that today when when Giffen went down but then I realized that you don't do that you don't want to bring in a new center uh, mid-game if you can avoid it. It's just, uh, there's there's too many moving parts there. So I, I think the correct move was uh, to bring in McKellar to play that right guard spot. But um, well, yeah. I've got a question for you. Go for it. Does Jonathan Jones lose his spot? If Jordan Williams is healthy and ready to go? Yeah. I think so. I think you still play Jordan Williams. I know Jonathan Jones has been great. I think Jonathan Jones still dresses. You still find ways to get him onto the field, and Coach Mace yeah, is great well, that's at where that. Maybe that maybe it's more like a rotational thing, and they, if they want a different look with Jones, and they get with Jordan. But he definitely has earned his. I think he has earned his way to he and Williams being a little more rotational with each other, as opposed to him being a straight backup. 
Yeah, I know. I, I can't argue that. He's been great. Every time he's been called on, even last year, like when McManus yeah. goes down, Jones steps up and he's fantastic. Remember that the pick that he had in Montreal and like there's so many plays he made uh, in the Grey Cup game. He's, you know, all over the place. Yeah, he's. I, I think he's the most underrated guy on the team. There's, uh, but there's like 10 of those guys. Like so is Hendricks. So is uh, there's there's like Robertson Daniel was until tonight. He's not going to be underrated anymore. But there's there's about there's about 10 Argos where you're like, how is nobody in the league picked up on how good this guy is? And yeah, he's, he's right in that list. So JB, we go into a bye week. So we're going to have our bye week pod coming to you a midweek before the CFL games get going so that we can make our picks and, and uh, see how many golden fleeces we have in our betting segment, etc. cetera. Ah. Um, I don't, I don't know. I haven't tallied anything today, but I, I gather I, from I, your I changed grunt. my bet at the last second and I should have, I should have trusted my instinct. My, my original bet would have paid off. Yeah. And, and I will back you up. You did tell me about that. And then you switched on me <laughs> mid pod. You didn't even tell me I you were going to switch. I don't know why I changed. It's, it's so a stupid. rule of betting. Don't, don't change your bet at the window. If you no, go up to the window. No, that's exactly what happened. I changed my bet at the window. Yeah. And you know, it does happen, but yeah, I think, I think both of mine came through, but we'll tally that up midweek. So uh, we will be back midweek with our regularly scheduled podcast, but obviously with a buy, we don't have a, a game to review at the end of the week. Um, but yeah, this this is a nice one. The Argos are the only undefeated team left in the CFL. They're at the top of the East Division, and now they can sit back and watch the festivities as we see what happens to the the Hamilton Tiger Cats, the Alouettes, the Red Blacks, the rest of the East. Uh, see what they get up to this week. Well, that will just about do it for us on this post game uh, post game reaction podcast. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long, and may all your pre snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya. Go Toronto Argos, go, go, go. Pull together, fight the foe, foe.